Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Good? All right. Good, good. If it's your first time with us, um, we go through whole books of the Bible. Last week, we did a baptism lesson, so we weren't in the book we're con- uh, currently doing. But we're back to that. We're in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. And if you have not been here for this study, uh, what this is, is this is a letter written from a guy named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, written to a church in southern Greece. And um, what it's about, basically, or what it's addressing, he wrote two letters to this church within just a couple of years' time. And what it was about was there was a group of Christians in southern Greece in the 50s, right, the, the, the OG 50s, the actual 50s, uh, the first century, and they knew who Jesus was, they claimed to follow Jesus, they had access to the word of God, and they had good leadership, Paul, right? But what they were doing is, is they had turned from the wisdom of the word of God and from the teachings of Christ, and they had resorted back to following culture, what Paul calls the wisdom of the world. And because they did that, all of these problems ensued, right? There was chaos, there was confusion, There was a lot of rivalry within the church. People were not living the way they were supposed to be living. Anyways, that's what these letters deal with. If you weren't here two weeks ago, chapter six is kind of an equal opportunity offender in the fact that it mentions sins that all of us have fallen to. And what Paul talks about in chapter six is that if we choose to live in those sins, right? He's not talking about a one-time mistake, but if we choose to live a life of sin, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he talks about in chapter six. And one of those sins that he talks about is is sexual sin. And the reason I bring that up is that we'll get into what we're gonna talk about a little bit in chapter seven. But in chapter six, the question was, because we've been bought by a price, by, by Jesus dying on the cross, will we choose to live a life of sacrifice and obedience and trust in every aspect of our life, right? Our relationships, our finances, our job, um, Um, how we conduct ourselves morally, all these things. Will we trust God in those things? And then now we get into, we're gonna do the first half of chapter seven because it's a longer chapter. And what we're gonna talk about today, uh, before I get to that, I I wanted to throw this out. So if you're new to the church, um, going through whole books of the Bible like this is kind of a double-edged sword. It's really, really great in the fact that you learn the Bible in context, things can't be taken out of context. It's a double-edged sword and sometimes gets uncomfortable in the fact that we have to cover hard topics and sometimes topics that are uh, um, not G-rated, if that's the way to say it. So today we're gonna talk a lot about sex, divorce, marriage, being single. And um, this is a good time to remind you that we have a a fantastic children's program at this church (laughs) that is happening simultaneously to, to this. And again, if you're comfortable having your kids in here, that's totally fine, they're your children, they're not mine. Um, but several years back, I got a really, we'll call it colorful email that a woman sent me because she said that I had taught her son some new words in church this weekend. And I told her, all those words are in the Bible. My apologies for teaching the word of God in church. And so it wasn't that I softened it up a little bit. That's, you know, when you write that first email and then you delete it and you're like, all right, God, maybe be with me in this email. And then you send a really nice one. Anyways, the point remains, um, when we teach the, the Bible the way we do, there are parts that are very adult, right? And in chapter seven, the first half of chapter seven is one of those adult passages. But here's the thing, what we're gonna study today, what we're gonna hang on is not about sex, it's not about marriage, it's not about divorce. We're gonna mention briefly slavery and I'll explain that. It's not even about that. What we're gonna talk about today is this idea of being present 
in whatever situation we may be in in life. Whatever lot in life we have at the moment, whatever condition we happen to be in, single, married, poor, rich, whatever the case may be, are we being responsible and present and honoring God in those situations? That's what we're gonna talk about, okay? So we're gonna cover some uncomfortable stuff, uh, but we're gonna end in a place that's applicable for, for anyone who hears this, right? So let me pray, and um, you're willing to pray for me. I probably need it. Uh, I'm gonna pray for you. We'll pray that God is honored by our study of the word today, and um, we'll see what happens, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna say will be in there. You've probably already skimmed over that by this point, right? Um, everything will be on the screens, and if you have the Experience Community app, everything will be in there as well. So let me pray. We'll dive into this and um, see what happens, okay? All right. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much, Lord. Um, I love this church. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we get into some tough passages today, as we talk about some hard truths, God, I pray, Lord, that we are blessed by that and we pray that you are honored by our study. So Father, we pray that you bless our church and not just our church. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those areas, God. We pray, Lord, that we can be the light in our areas, Lord. And um, through our community service day that we have coming up and through all the work we got to do last month, God, with our school systems, we just wanna be a, a blessing to the city in which we're in, Lord. So, we, Father, we love you. We praise you, God. We pray that your word is illuminated and a blessing to us today. And we pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Chapter seven, Paul writes this. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have relations, sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, Another has that gift. Okay, so let me tell you what was going on. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, in Corinth, in this time when Paul was writing this, in the church, in, in this area, right, the Corinthian church, there were two extremes going on. One extreme was they said, sex is natural, God created sex, so we should have sex with whomever we want, whenever we want, in whatever context we want. That was one far extreme. The other group of Christians in Corinth were saying the exact opposite of that. Sex is bad, we should never have sex, not even with our spouse. So no sex whatsoever. And this is typically what we do as humans, right? We do this really, really poorly in the United States. We go to these crazy extremes. We do it with politics, we do it with theology, we do it with the things we're involved in. We go to these crazy radical polar opposites. And the Bible doesn't teach radical crazy polar opposites. It teaches balance and it teaches logic. The problem is we have such chaos and we have such imbalance because we're a people that don't read the Bible. 
And if we read the Bible more often, we would learn balance and we would learn logic in virtually all walks of our life. And so when it comes to marriage, when a marriage is biblical, a marriage is healthy and healthy marriages protect people from sexual immorality. Now there's a lot of reasons for this, but the biggest one is God has nothing against sex. In fact, he says, if you're married, like have lots of sex, that's good. And when you have a good sexual relationship with your spouse, it keeps men from looking at porn and it keeps women from reading 50 Shades of Grey. I, I remember how many women were like, my husband and his porn problem. And you're just reading porn manuscripted in a book. Do you know it's sinful if that image is concocted in your head versus what you see on a screen? It's all wrong, right? Everyone knows this, right? We're all so quick though to point out the sins of everyone else, you know, when we have this problem ourselves. But anyways, getting off track. The point is, is that sex and intimacy are good and it's encouraged through the word of God. A big problem though with the church though is the church has not talked about sex and it should. In fact, Many of you in this room who've been in church for a long, long time, a lot of you were taught that sex was so dirty and the church never talked about sex and it was never brought up. So a lot of Christians were raised to believe that sex in any context is evil and dirty and wrong. Then they get married to someone and then there's no intimacy in their relationship and they wonder why there's so many problems. The problem is, is the church dropped the ball on teaching sex. That's why I've taught the book of Song of Solomon three times, I think. It's a lot of fun. I'm read the whole time. You guys are giggling and nudging your wives the whole time. Super uncomfortable, right? But we do it because it's in the Bible. It's been a long time, right? I finally learned my lesson. So <laughs> sex is a holy thing. It's a good thing within the proper biblical context. And we need to say that and we need to teach that. So one of the things Paul says though, and this is taken way out of context, is he says a woman's body doesn't belong to her. Now I can't tell you how many men I've had in my office misquote the scripture. Look pastor, it says right there, my wife has to have sex with me because her, her body doesn't even belong to her. And I'm like, hey champ, just keep reading that chapter a little bit and see what the rest of it says. It also says that your body doesn't belong to you. The reason why Paul wrote that is Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says that when a man and a woman get married, they become one flesh, right? There's no mine and yours, it's, it's ours, it's together, which means it is a mutually submissive relationship. My wife doesn't submit to me, do you submit to her? It is to be a mutually submissive thing, right? And here's the thing, if married couples would follow Ephesians chapter five, verses 24 through 26, which says, if a woman respects her husband and if a man treats his wife like Christ treats the church, intimacy would be a natural byproduct of that. And I'm not trying to be funny or, or sarcastic, but I will tell said men, right, who's sitting in my office and say, the Bible says she's supposed to have sex with me. And I said, listen, she would probably love to be intimate with you if you would take her out and respect her and treat her with dignity and love her the way Christ loves you. And if you did that and treated her in such a manner, she probably would want to be intimate with you. But I'm not just picking on men. The same thing goes with women who are disrespectful to their husband and degrade them in public settings, right? There's no reason why your husband is looking for affirmation in, in other places when you are publicly disrespecting him. Respect is a big deal to men. And that's why the Bible gives that command. Paul also says there is a time when couples may decide not to be intimate in the, for the reason of fasting and prayer. But look at how logical Paul is in this. He says, you should not do that for a long period of time. 
Because if you abstain from sex for too long of a period of time within your marriage, that's where people may stumble or they may lust or they may have the temptation to look at pornography or do something like that. Because intimacy is a natural desire that should be fulfilled in marriage. But if your marriage does not have intimacy, this is when sin typically seeps in, right? This is where we try to fulfill that intimacy in sinful ways. This is very practical stuff, guys. And so Paul was single, right? He was not a married man at this time. But he recognized that not all people were called to be single. He also says that everyone has their own gift. Married women have their gift. Married men have their gift. And he says single people have their gift. And we have a tendency in church to almost kind of look down on single people. And Paul would take offense to that. They all have their place in the kingdom. And that kind of brings us to what our point of the lesson today is, and it's this, that we are all called to be content and to honor God in whatever condition we happen to be in right now, right? In whatever time frame, God wants us to be in that condition. But we'll keep on moving forward with that thought, okay? Paul says, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if you do not have self-control, they should marry since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. To the married, I give this command. Look at this. Not I, but God. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is to not divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy." But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. So Paul kind of concludes his outlook on marriage by telling unmarried people and widows to remain single if they can do it and not burn with lust, burn with desire, and if they can have self-control. So this is important. It isn't a command that everyone remains single, but Paul said there are benefits of being single. For him, he said, I don't have to worry about a wife and kids. I can devote my whole life to ministry. And he says, if you're in that place right now in your life, he goes, don't don't try to rush yourself out of that, right? You know, take advantage of that. If, If you're not burning with desire, if you're not struggling with temptation, Be okay in your singleness. And again, it goes back to the point of be present, be aware, honor God in whatever condition you happen to be in right now. Also notice this, twice in this part, Paul goes, God is telling you this. And then there's another part where he goes, this isn't God, this is my opinion. And then he brings us into the very uncomfortable and sometimes confusing topic of divorce amongst Christians. So here's the thing when it comes to divorce. Paul was, was reasonable enough and realistic enough to know that divorces would happen that shouldn't have happened. 
The reason why Paul knew this is because he was channeling God, right? And he was, he wasn't typing. He was writing. (laughs) He was writing the word of God, channeling God. And God knows that there would be illegitimate divorces. So the Bible gives us two options for people who get divorced, but they shouldn't have got divorced. And the two options are this, either remain unmarried or reconcile with your spouse. Those are the two options remain unmarried or reconcile with your spouse. Now here's what the Bible does not tell us. What if one, uh, let's just say hypothetically speaking, that, that you have an affair on your husband and you are convicted by God, you repent for your sin, you go back to your husband and you say, I made a mistake, I want to reconcile this. But let's say the husband goes, no, I'm done, I'm gone, I can't trust you again, and, and, and the marriage ends. What do we do then? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us what to do then. What it does tell us is we have to take every steps we can, every step we can to reconcile the relationship. The Bible does tell us three reasons that give us the, the option to get divorced, three legitimate reasons for divorce. The first one that most people know is adultery, right? Jesus talks about this twice in the book of Matthew. The second one that we just read about, and I'll show it to you again, is abandonment that you try to save a marriage and the other person just leaves, they're gone. And then the third one is abuse. These are permissible reasons for ending a marriage. Now here's the thing, the Bible never tells us, it never commands us to divorce, but there are times when people have little choice, right? And I'll tell you what, it's really, really hard for me because I've heard ministers say it. They, they think the only reason for divorce is adultery, which, which there are other reasons given. So they will tell women who are in abusive relationships to stay with that. And I just don't know how they do that in good conscience. I don't know how you do that, right? I don't think God wants a woman to be beat up or physically harmed. And so again, I think there are these reasons that are permissible. So again, though, even if there has been adultery, even if there has been abandonment, in crazy situations, even if there has been an abuse, the Bible doesn't tell you you have to get divorced, that you can still try to reconcile that and work that out, but you have to make sure that you do that safely, right? And then Paul talks about unbelieving spouses. Now we have a lot of families in this church that there's a man or woman who's a believer and then their spouse is not a believer. What in the world do we do in this situation? Now in this situation, Paul says, this is my advice. I did not get this from God. This is me, Paul, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but him basically saying, I'm an older man. I've lived a little bit. Here is my wisdom. Here's my advice. He advises that Christians stay with non-believing spouses because if you stay with your non-believing spouse, they are made holy, he says. Now that cannot be misinterpreted. That can be, some people will misinterpret that to believe that if I'm saved, and let's, let's take my wife, for instance, who is a, a Christian, she's saved, guys, but let's just say for argument's sake, my wife is not a believer. Some people will say, well, because I'm a believer, my salvation gets her into heaven as well, and that is not what Paul means. What Paul means is, if I'm a believer, I stay with my non-believing wife because I am the best hope of her also becoming a believer. So he says, stick that out. If it's safe and, and, and you can do it, right, you are their best hope. This also applies to children. Again, our salvation is not transferable to our children. They have to make that decision as well. But Paul encourages believers to stay uh, married to non-believers for the sake of their kids. And this is, again, just practical. It is implying that children will have a better upbringing 
and a higher probability of being followers of Jesus if they have at least one parent that is a Christian. Hopefully they will have both parents that are a Christian that teach them the Bible. And that brings me to a side note. Do you know it's not the church's job to teach your kids theology? We are a supplement to that, right? The, the, the one that is with them the most time, right? Six and a half days out of the week, you are the one leading them. You are the one that they are looking at. If you're a parent in this room, it is your job to not only teach your kids the word of God, but model the word of God to them. When we all stand in front of Jesus Christ on the day of judgment, you're not gonna be able to blame Patrick Black for your kid's state of spiritual health, right? We are a supplement. He does all of our family ministries. We will have to take ownership because they were our children, okay? So just a side note, it is our job to teach our kids theology. So God also understands that, that let's say you're married to a non-believer and you do everything you can to save the marriage and work it out. God knows that sometimes it doesn't work out and those people will leave. Well, Paul tells us that in those cases, you're free. In those cases, you are not bound. This goes back to the abandonment right? If someone abandons you and splits, you're no longer bound to that marriage anymore. You're free of that. Here's the advice I give people though. Whenever people sit on my couch, whatever the situation is, if they're on the brink of divorce, if let's say their husband is a drug addict and he's gone all the time and he has basically abandoned them and a woman says, I don't know what to do. What I always say is, I want you to be able to stand in front of God and say, God, I did everything within my power to reconcile my marriage. Oftentimes I will ask people, okay, you're thinking about divorce. Can you say to Jesus, I have done everything within my power to save this? And most times people say, no, I haven't prayed. I haven't fasted. We haven't gone to a counselor. We haven't come to you as our pastor. We have not done these things, right? And I said, well, you gotta do all those things first. You gotta do these things first. We have to make every step we can to make sure we can stand in front of Jesus and say, I did the best I could. That's how Paul says we live in peace, right? When we have made every attempt to reconcile, even if it didn't work, we did everything within our power to reconcile. The final sentence of this portion that I just read though sums it up perfectly. He's basically saying, wives, you don't know if you stay with your non-believing husband, he may become a believer because of you. Husbands, if you stay with your non-believing wife, she may become a believer because of you. As long as it is safe, as long as there is no adultery, abandonment, abuse, stay with that person in the hopes that they will know Jesus and your children will be raised correctly. Very, very practical information, okay? Last part. Let each one live, uh, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter. And uncircumcision does not matter. I like this. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which they were called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. 
You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. So chapter seven, so far, right, this half of it, talks of being mentally and spiritually aware and present wherever God may have us right now. That doesn't mean that our status can't change. So if you're broke, that doesn't mean that it's wrong for you to, to eventually not be broke and to have some money. If you're single, that doesn't mean that it's wrong for you to eventually be married. What Paul is saying is though, wherever you are right now, live in a way that honors God. Live in a way that is present and aware and following the teachings of Jesus. This also doesn't mean that wherever you're at right now is God's will. Oftentimes, I'll hear people say crazy stuff. Man, Corey, I'm flat broke and everyone hates me, but it's where God wants me. I'm like, no, it's not. You have bad spending habits and you're mean to everyone. That's not God's will, right? That's why you're lonely and broke. And God doesn't want you to stay there. We often blame God all the time for the situations we're in, and oftentimes it's our foolishness that gets us into the places where we're at. But if we are living by God's standards, by his commands, we are to trust that wherever we're at right now, God has, has us in that situation for a reason. And so verse 18 and 19 address the notion that we are also not to seek change just for change's sake. What that means is this. Here's what we often do as Christians, if we're just being really honest, right? We make a decision like, I'm gonna move to California or I'm gonna quit my job and do this or I'm gonna go out with this person or whatever. We make the decision and then we say, hey God, can you put your stamp of approval on this decision? And then we wonder why we get into all this, this, these terrible places and we have all these failures in life and we blame God and we've gotten it completely backwards. There's nothing wrong with moving or getting a different job or going on a date with someone or whatever the case may be. But as Christians, we must first consult what God wants for us and then do that. And then we will start to see there are so many more successes in life because we're going where God wants us to go. And so again, there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with, you know, like getting a promotion or, or moving somewhere or buying rental property or nothing wrong with any of that. Just make sure that it's God's will for your life. Make sure that you're listening to the Lord and doing what he wants you to do and not just following culture. This is why Paul brings up circumcision, right? And I'm not gonna go into that. We've already gone way past lines today. So when he's talking about circumcision, that's a cultural thing. There was a bunch of Jewish Christians who were telling a bunch of the Greek and Roman Christians, well, now that you're following the same God we are, you have to get circumcised. And Paul was saying, that's a cultural thing. That's not a biblical thing. That's not a New Testament thing. That's not, a, that, that's not what Jesus is concerned about. It's following Jesus's commands, not bowing down to culture. And that's what we tend to do though. We usually let culture dictate where we go instead of the voice of God dictating where we're supposed to go. And then Paul talks about slavery. I get a kick out of people who read the Bible and take it way out of context. They'll read a chapter like this and say, well, look, Christians are bigots, right? And small-minded and racist and everything else because they condone slavery. Look, it says right here, Paul says, if you're a slave, remain a slave. You have not read that in the proper context at all. By telling slaves to remain as slaves is not advocacy for slavery. What he's saying is, it doesn't matter what the world around you says, if they say you're a slave, if you are a Christian, you are freed under Christ. 
It doesn't matter if you're poor and don't own anything. Paul was trying to teach them that one day you're going to inherit everything. You are a freed man. And then look at this, look at the logic that Paul puts in there. He also says, listen, if you're a slave and you get, you get uh, saved by Jesus and you're always a slave, it's okay. One day you're gonna be in heaven, right? But he says, if you have the opportunity to get out of slavery, take it, right? Logic. It's like Christians right, right now, you know, like if God offers you a really great paying job, well, I don't know if I should take it. God, open that door, just take it. Just be a good steward with your money, right? Don't be materialistic and a fool. Bless people with it or buy your kids something nice or whatever the case may be. If God has opened the door, please take it. Again, the point is this. Wherever we happen to be in life, right? We, we are to be content in that. We are to trust God in that. We are to know that we are free regardless if we have nothing or if we have everything. And that in the life to come, we will, we will inherit all things. That's what Paul is saying in regards to slavery. And then he says something which I think is kind of the, the ultimate verse for us right now in our culture. He says, do not become slaves of people. Now, he was not talking of literal slavery here. He was talking about cultural slavery. Think on that for a second. Paul urges us to remain with God in the situation we are called, not to become slaves to the culture around us. So we can trust Jesus because Jesus purchased our freedom and salvation on the cross. And the cross and trusting and living a life that honors God liberates us from the pressure of culture. That means if you don't live on that side of town in that neighborhood or drive that car or dress a certain way or you're a size zero or you've you know, had sex with so many women by the time you're this age or you're going to that party or whatever the case may be, this pressure that we all feel all the time, it's amazing, in the land of the free, we may be the most enslaved people in human history. We are such slaves to our culture, to what we drive and how we look and what we watch and if we're doing this or doing that or speaking in a certain dialect and all kinds of stupid garbage, right? And Paul says, you have not been saved and liberated by the blood of Jesus to be a slave to the culture around you. That's foolish, right? If you just wanna read a book that really hurts your head, my buddy Tyler that comes here got me onto Jordan Peterson and his 12 rules for life, right? Rule number one in Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, stand up straight with your shoulders back. It's a good rule. And he's not even a Christian, he doesn't claim to be. But as Christians, we should know, right? That we don't have to be constantly intimidated by the pressures of the world around us. Just because maybe we don't look the part or drive the thing or whatever the thing is, man, stand up straight with your shoulders back because you were bought by the blood of Jesus. You're a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And there's no reason to constantly be cowering to the political correctness and all the other garbage of the world around us right now. Live in the identity that you've been bought, right? Live in that shoulders back, right? Standing up straight and we can avoid the pitfalls of being a slave to culture. So let's start over again real quick. If you are a married person in this room, this is very, very simple stuff. If you are married, husband and wife, we are to be mutually submissive. Mutually submissive, mutually respectful, mutually loving as both people are pursuing Jesus. When we have this mutual submission and love and respect for each other, right? It comes together, it's balanced and it points up. When only one person does that, falls down, right? It's how marriages fall apart. 
Mutual respect, mutual submission, mutual love. That is biblical marriage. If you are in this room and you are single, you should not feel the pressure to rush into a relationship. God may call you to never be in a relationship. Okay? So you don't have to feel that pressure. But if you are single in this room, you have to take the steps to avoid temptations, to avoid sexual sin, to be wise enough to avoid situations that are gonna cause you to live dishonorably, okay? So if you're single, and listen, as a 42-year-old, I'm married and I'm really happy for that. It's gotta be tough to be single right now with all the temptations, distractions, everything else, but you've got to cut those things out in order to live a life that honors God. Here's the other thing. Whether you are married or single in this room, you are valuable to God and you have a place in God's kingdom. God has you in this situation for a reason. Well, Corey, it's really, really difficult. That's why the Bible says that we are often put through the refiner's fire, right? And so the impurities can come up and we can come out like pure gold. There's a reason why God has us in the situations we are in right now. But know that you are valuable, that you are loved, that you have a place. So in marriage, and listen, in all relationships, family relationships, friendships, we should do everything we can, as long as we are being safe, right? We should do everything we can to reconcile relationships. Everything we can to reconcile relationships. Not even just with marriages, with friendships, with family. We need to be able to stand in front of God and say, I did everything I can to reconcile this relationship. If you are married, we have a lot of people in this church like this. If you are married to a non-believer, we are to stay with them, again, as long as it is safe for their sake, for any children's sake, because that's the best way that they have the, most, the, the highest probability of following Jesus, okay? Again, persistence and responsibility with relationships, though, should be applied to all relationships, not just marriage. We have to understand, listen, some of you in this room, you may be the only means for your family, your cousins, your aunts and uncles, to have a relationship with Jesus, so we need to not give up on those so easy. You may be the best opportunity for your friends, for the people in your neighborhood, your work, so we need to make sure that we are persistent, responsible, that we steward relationships well, right? For the sake of other people. So in, in the first half of chapter seven, man, we talked about sex, we talked about marriage, we talked about divorce, we talked about being single, we talked about slavery, and that's not really what it's about at all. What it's about is the charge from Paul through God, right? God is speaking through Paul to trust Jesus in whatever condition you are in right now. Rich, poor, right? Slave, free, single, married, whatever condition you are right now, you're in right now. What the, the point, the moral of the story today is, is we must trust Jesus wherever we are right now. Now, here's the thing. In order to have peace and contentment in our current condition, this is pivotal, we must be obeying the word of God. There's a lot of single people who don't have peace and contentment because they're not living by the word of God. They're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, sex outside of marriage, pornography, whatever the case may be. And there is an unsettledness in their life and that's because sin has infiltrated. And the same thing with marriages. 
There's a lot of unstable, chaotic marriages because Ephesians chapter five is not being followed. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter seven is not being followed. And so there is this chaos. There's no peace. There's no contentment. That's because we're not being obedient to the word of God. So not only will we find peace and contentment when we are obeying the word of God. Listen, this is so important. We need to pray for God to give us wisdom and the ability to discern what doors God is opening for us and what doors he may be closing. And people say, well, Corey, I can't hear God's voice. It's really difficult when you have an AirPod in, Fox News is on, you're on Instagram, you got three people talking to you, right? And we go, I can't hear the voice of God. Well, no wonder you can't hear the voice of God. You have every other distraction in the world being pummeled into you all the time. That's why we can't hear the word of God. And let me tell you what, it's really hard to see the open doors in life that God is doing when we're constantly looking down. Anybody? Seriously. We wonder why our kids are running wild and our wife is checking out another dude. It's because we're glued to this thing all the time. We're just gonna talk real this morning, correct? We have to be present. We have to be alert. Well, God's never done anything for me. You haven't paid attention to God. You've made all these other decisions, right? And then God, why do I keep failing? God's like, because you never listen to me. You never ask my opinion. You never help me steer you in the direction you're supposed to go. You make a choice and then get a hold of me later. And that's why we keep running into roadblocks. So trusting Jesus wherever we may be, whatever condition you're in right now, if we will trust and obey, obey Jesus, it enables us to be present. What does that mean? It enables us to be able to see things. It enables us to be able to hear things. It gives us clarity. And listen, we live in a time right now that is so confusing. It is so chaotic. And in my 42 years, I have never known a time where I need more clarity than I need it right now. In order to have healthy friendships, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy families, and just to like navigate life. Man, we have to have our eyes wide open and our ears unplugged just to get from point A to point B in this world right now. But listen, more than that, more than that, not just navigating life, but if we will trust Jesus and if we will be present, it will enable us to see that there is still beauty in the world, that not everyone's a bigoted racist, not everyone's hateful, not every corner of the world is on fire. There's actually some beautiful things going on, but it's hard to see it when we have so many distractions, right? When we're glued to our devices and all these other voices, and if we will be present though, if we will just take the time to meditate on God and pray and talk to him and listen, shut up for a second and let him speak to us. When we do that, we start to look up at night and we go, my God, the stars are beautiful. And he made all those, wow, wow. When we put down our phones and we start to pay attention to God and we're present, Man, if you're in this place and you have kids, time speeds up exponentially when you have children. And you can miss it really, really easily. And man, if we will just be present and walk in step with Jesus, man, you'll start to see God in your kids. And you'll start to see God in your spouse. 
When's the last time you just grabbed your kids by the face and just looked in their eyes, right? And just been present. When's the last time you turned everything off, right? And you just like hopped in the car with your family and turned the music up too loud and just laughed a little bit and enjoyed the wind. When's the last time you walked outside and, and again, looked at the sky? When's the last time you looked at other people and you had conversation and you talked, present, aware, alert, there, right? So it's, 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 let me go back one slide, I'm sorry. There's this thing that I'm doing right now. It's this, this thing in my life where wherever I go, I have decided to not be on my phone. So if I'm at the doctor's office and I'm waiting, I was there last week at MMC for my annual, I said, I'm not gonna look on my phone. When I go to a coffee shop or donut country or whatever and I'm waiting on something, I, I, I'm not gonna look at my phone, right? Doctor's office, donut country in the same sentence. I, anyways, <laughs> love donut country. Anyways, but I've made it a point to not look at my phone. And it's crazy, I was in the doctor's office the other day, all these people looking at their phones, all these people glued to it. And older people tend to pick on younger people when it comes to phones. But I kid you not, in this doctor's office, there's about 25 people in there, none of them were under the age of 50 or 60. And they were all glued, right? I don't know if they're playing Candy Crush or what they're doing, right? But they're all just glued, <laughs> glued to their phones, right? And I'm sitting there and I got my arms up, I'm in my kind of like be present swagger, so I'm, I'm sitting there with my arms on the chair and I'm just looking at people. And I'm like, man, if a, if a maniac walked in with an AK-47 right now, I'd be the only one to live. They'd all be dead and they wouldn't even know it because they're looking down all the time. And so it's just amazing to me how much we miss, right? And crazy things happen when we put down the distractions. You actually start to talk to people. You start to hear interesting stories about people's lives. You, you get to know people and you get to speak into them. And, and again, you get to see more beauty in this life. So here's the thing, if possible, will we work to resolve unstable relationships or will we take the easy road and will we just walk away? Are we obedient and are we trusting God regardless of the place we are at in life? Again, whether single, married, whether rich or poor, whatever place you're in right now, Are we trusting God? Are we being obedient? <laughs> Let me ask you this. Have we become slaves to our culture? And we're very quick sometimes to say, no, 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 I'm not a slave to my culture. But how much pressure do we feel to talk a certain way, dress a certain way, drive a certain car, live in a certain place, right? And has it started to control us? As Christians, we need to be reminded, right? that we have not been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ to become slaves to the culture around us. We have not been bought by the blood of Christ to be slaves to the culture around us. And so again, here, here's my last thing and I'll wrap it up. Are you and I willing to put down the phone? Are we willing to turn off the television? Are we willing to turn off the radio? Are we willing to, to notch out time in our, in our, our busy lives? to pray, 
to read the word of God, to meditate on God? Are we willing to trust God no matter what the situation we happen to be in in life is? Will we take these steps in order to be present, to be alert, to be aware, to be looking around? Now listen, let me, I ask that and let me follow it up with this. If we do not intentionally choose to be present with God and present in the, the, the state that we live in right now, what will you be missing? Think about that. Are we missing our children growing up? Are we missing our marriage? Are we missing the beauty of getting to know other people? Are we missing the beauty of the nature God has put around us? Are we missing opportunities for God to expand our thinking and our lives? And are we missing peace? Are we missing contentment? What is the cost of our constant distraction and busyness and temptation and our refusal to just slow down and know that he's God like David wrote in the book of Psalms. What is the cost? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you're a new believer, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. If you have any questions, if you, um, if, if you just have anything that you're, you're curious about or concerned about, would you please come up here and talk to Pastor Mike? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have any prayer requests, if, if you wanna pray for your marriage or if you're single and you struggle and, and, and you have a hard time being content where you're at, if you want someone to pray with you, if you have a job situation or a financial situation, whatever the case may be, why don't you let one of these men or women pray for you? And then the last thing I wanna offer you today is all around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there is bread and wine, communion, that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you are welcome to take the body and blood of Jesus Christ in remembrance of what he did for us on the cross. Now, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I wanna challenge you today. Here's my challenge for you. If you get up and get communion and you go back to your seat, you can pray, you can talk to the Lord however you, however you see fit. I wanna challenge you to take a couple of minutes and just sit quiet. Take a couple of minutes and just meditate on God. Be still for a second. Listen, there's enough anxiety, there's enough hurry, there's enough busyness waiting for you tomorrow. Take a minute in this sanctuary. You're in a sanctuary, a safe place. Take a couple of minutes and slow down and be present and maybe ask God, God, how can my eyes be more open? How can my ears be more open? How can I slow down occasionally, God, and just connect with you so I can connect with others? Take a couple of minutes and just pause. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. Thank you so much for this church, Lord. I thank you so much for your word that gives us clarity. It's practical, God, and it's spiritual, and it's deep, but it's also understandable, God. Thank you. Lord, for everyone in this room, I pray that you just keep your hand on us, God. I pray that you just give us wisdom, God. I pray, Lord, that you give us the ability, Lord, to, to, to see what's going on around us, God. Give us the wisdom and the discernment, God, to see the, the path you want us to go on. Help us, Lord, to not get wrapped up in our distractions and temptations and cultural pressure, God, but Lord, help us to lean on you. Father, we love you. We praise you. Keep your hand on us until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, God. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself.